1: This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management.
2: This is Women To Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams.
3: Women To Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world.
4: It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change
3: inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams.
5: True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given.
3: Now, women to
4: watch. Here's your host, Sue Rocco. Good evening, everyone, and thank you so much for being with us for another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Uh, in just a moment, I'm going to be joined by Lauren Swartz, and Lauren is the Senior Director of International Business for the City of Philadelphia, and I'm really excited to talk to her. And Learn more about her, her job and, and what she does every day. Uh, a brief reminder to stay with us during the breaks, where you'll hear from our exclusive watch team of on-air contributors from Jefferson Health, Nutrisystem, Pathways Consulting, Fortis Wealth, and Hanadi, Shahabuddin for Diversity. And to stay in the loop on all things Women to Watch, be sure to visit us at womentowatch.net and subscribe to our newsletter. You can also pick up the podcast there if you happen to miss the live show, and that website is womentowatch.net, the number two, and .net, N-E-T. So now I'm very honored to welcome to the show Lauren Swartz, again, the Senior Director of International Business for the City of Philadelphia. Welcome to the show, Lauren.
6: Thank you, Sue.
4: It's great to have you here. Um, You know, in doing my research about you and your story, we're going to go into something that... uh, very, very pivotal and a, a compelling part of your journey. Um, but I want to start out with your, your younger years. And um, you were born in Minneapolis and um, moved around quite a bit. You know, 10 schools, six states, and three countries you lived in. And that's a lot of moving around. So I want to know how that affected you, whether that was really challenging to continually start over, or if it helped to build some... Um, curiosity in you about people in different places.
6: Yes, to all. It was hard and built <laughs> curiosity. Um, my dad was in technology in the eighties, eighties and nineties. So I joke and say I'm not a military brat, but I'm a technology brat. Where <laughs> in, the industry was innovating and there were opportunities to relocate. Uh, and I think once you, s- just like once you start doing anything, once you start moving, you get sort of good at it, and you end up in these communities where people are a bit more transitory. And so we um, started moving when I was five, uh, which is all the reason why I went to so many different schools, uh, which led me to then start traveling and moving internationally myself, which is where those three countries come from. When I was very young, I was terrified by this. I was quite a shy child. I never wanted to speak to anyone. My parents made my sister take me on her play dates because I couldn't make friends of my own. Uh, Times have changed. I'm sure she loved that. Yeah, Yeah. she was mad about that for decades. Um, But I learned how to present myself and how to make friends and how to network, frankly, even as a third grader. Um, And I learned also that you can change things about yourself and who you want to be. I didn't grow up with... Um, people next to me that had known me my whole life. So when I wanted to try mm-hmm. something out as a kid, I said, well, maybe I'll try out soccer or maybe I want to cut my hair short or something. I didn't have that sort of pressure that I thought, well, what were the people who've known me my whole yeah, life? Yeah,
4: I never thought it. that's a great point. You didn't have to kind of fit into some mold mm-hmm. of right, the, pe- the community and the people that you were around. You could like start over. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, t- tell me what brought you to Philadelphia.
6: So I was living in Copenhagen, Denmark in the early 2000s, working there, and uh, much like what's happening now, the immigration debate was raging at that point in Europe, and a new politician came to power, and they changed the immigration laws. Uh, So I've got some sympathies for what are going on today, and the visa I was on really just disappeared, and I needed to leave the country, and I didn't have time to make a plan to to go to another country and continue my adventure of living abroad. So I thought, well, I guess I'll go back to the US. Um, But because I didn't have a home-based geography in the US, I didn't really know where to go home to. Mm. So I made a chart uh, on graph paper in a notebook. And I listed cities that were east of the Mississippi, which is where my sort of network and life had been lived. And I had some criteria across the top of whether I needed a car, whether there were universities. Um, I had to know one person, cost of living, these factors. Um, and I raided a bunch of cities in this very unscientific way. And I chose Philadelphia, sight unseen. And this was before you could just pull up a Google map on your smartphone and, and right. look around. <laughs> it's be- very hard before back Before things then. like Uber and Airbnb. Yeah. Um, and I chose Philadelphia and I thought I'd be here for maybe a year or two. And here I am 15 years later. 15 years later. Mm-hmm.
4: Was that chart your idea or did somebody suggest that to you?
6: And my boyfriend at the time were in the same boat in the same boat, and we, we made it together yeah. and wanted some sort of empirical way I get you know it was scary right to just like plop yourself down and even though it was going back home to the U.S. it was still a new place yeah and and the um the problem of plenty right we have when you have any choice before you it's really hard to make a decision it is so yeah. we could have gone anywhere and I'm, I'm really grateful that we ended up in Philadelphia
4: yeah I am as well and Thank it's you. always impressive to me the moving around because I was born and raised here and I'm still here. Yeah. <laughs> so I travel, but I haven't really you know, been that adventurous to go move to another state, let alone another country and well, start now over.
6: I, now I've lived within two square miles for the past 15 years. Okay. So I'm trying, I'm <laughs> Are trying you the other to way. Get out? <laughs> no, I, well, I travel a lot for work, so I'm really happy to come home.
4: Yeah. And you're in, um, settled here in South Philadelphia, yeah, which South is Philly. a wonderful, vibrant, you know, historic really neighborhood.
6: Yeah. Beautiful.
4: Yeah. Um, I'd like to give you a couple minutes to talk about your sister sure. Justine and you know before we discuss what happened to her I'd love to just hear from your heart you know what she meant to you and and what kind of relationship you had as sisters when you were younger
6: Yeah thank you Sue so my sister was almost 2 years to the day older than I was and because we moved around so much we were super tight whether my parents made her take me on play dates and that's why we were tight or um, because we had to become new again together and we always had each other. so we were very close our entire lives despite whether when we were moving together or once we were in university and living in different cities. Um, Justine was she looked like an angel blonde long blonde hair, blue eyes, porcelain skin. she was a kindergarten teacher um, and she was getting her master's degree at University of Virginia in education was an animal lover, volunteered at an animal shelter on the weekends, and really was just a very kind, uh, kind and pure soul.
4: And loved by all who knew her. Absolutely. what I gathered from, you know, my research and my reading. Mm -hmm. Um, Sadly, your sister was murdered in 2006 Mm -hmm. by her husband. Yes. And my first question for you was um, how much, you know, Were you aware of that there was trouble Mm -hmm. in that relationship
6: before that happened? So my sister had been dating the man who became her husband and then the man who became her murderer for seven years before they married. And they were married only five months by the time uh, at the time of her death. Uh, I was aware from the very beginning that there was trouble in the relationship, bruises on the arms, financial abuse. I personally witnessed and intervened in a few incidents um, over over a number of years, and I kept I kept that information between us. I never told anyone else because I saw myself as her lifeline, and I thought that if I told my parents or told my aunt or tried to really intervene, um, that it could cost her her life. Wow. Um, we're going to come
4: back to this story when, after this first break. Stay with us uh, to hear from Dawn Zier of Nutrisystem for RCEO Watch. We'll be right back.
1: Now, the Women To Watch, CEO Watch.
0: Hi, everyone. I'm Dawn Zier here with today's CEO Watch. Today, I want to talk about what to do if you find yourself in a toxic work environment. For most of us, the office is where we spend at least eight hours every day, five days a week, some weeks spending more time here than we do in our own homes. With that said, it's important for our work environment to be a place where we feel comfortable and are welcome. Unfortunately, this isn't always the case. Whether office politics are getting in the way, or a colleague is proving to be difficult or even a bully, it's important to have strategies in place to deal with such situations. While there are some well-documented cases of blatantly toxic cultures, I have personally not encountered one, although within every organization there can be toxic relationships. So how can one deal with a toxic relationship? While the least path to resistance may be avoidance, this isn't the healthiest of approaches, As odds are, the negative behavior is often not just towards one person, but anyone that the person may perceive as a threat. As difficult as it may be, have a direct conversation. Plan and rehearse what you want to say. Be sure to stay diplomatic, but stand strong, and be sure to address your concerns in a clear and concise manner. And in return, be ready to listen to what the other person has to say. Remember, no one has the right to make you feel uncomfortable in the workplace. Have another person moderate the conversation if needed. Also, escalate if there's no resolution. Talk to HR, your manager, or even your CEO. Leadership's failure to address such people in an organization does not go unnoticed, but they can only address it if they are aware. Looking back, perhaps the biggest mistake I made early on in my career was tolerating this behavior from one individual because I thought he was so smart and so valuable to the company. I was young. I didn't end up firing the person, someone else did. But on reflection, I know I let my team down and vowed never again. As leaders, it's our job to ensure a healthy work environment for all employees without exception or excuse. Thanks for listening. I'm Don Zier, here for CEO Watch. Have a great week.
3: Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk
4: Radio 1210, if you're just tuning in, I'm talking to Lauren Swartz, the senior director of international business for the city of Philadelphia. And just before the break, we were um, talking about a very, very um, sad and pivotal time in Lauren's journey in her life. Uh, her sister was murdered by her husband in 2006. Um, describe for me the moment you found out. Mm-hmm.
6: I was at home uh, asleep in the middle of the night and my parents called and uh, this was back when at least I didn't sleep with my cell phone immediately next to me. It was in the other room and my parents were calling repeatedly and I was tired and, you know, didn't really want to pick up the phone, but something, something clicks in your mind and you say, oh, I better get that. And uh, both of my parents were on the phone and I, as hard as that moment was for me, I think about how how much worse it was for my parents to know that they had lost one daughter to have just found out and then to have had to call their other daughter and tell them. Uh, Of the many things I wouldn't wish on anyone through this process, I think about that a lot. Um, So it was the middle of the night, about three in the morning when they called and they just, and they knew something was wrong. My mom was on the phone, so I figured it must be my dad. And then they told me that Justine had died and it had honestly just never occurred to me that she could die. I always thought we'd be the ones sitting in the rocking chairs next to each other in the old folks home. And I was just, I was 25 and, and really blown away. I feel yeah. like a hole sort of opened up on the floor in that apartment that I walked by from time to time. And that hole is still there.
4: Yeah. I can't even imagine. I want to share a quote that you said that really mm. just touched my heart. And um, you said the hardest part is learning how to live with a permanently broken heart. Um, and when I read that, I thought, you know, cause people, when when devastation happens, people will say, you know, time will heal and all of those cliches. And my guess is that there would be a permanently broken heart, right, mm-hmm. or or part of your heart. So how do you or how have you learned to live with that?
6: In the aftermath of her murder, which turned into a five-year Virginia State Police investigation and a three-week trial, um, which ended in a conviction, uh, a first-degree murder and life in prison, but in the, in the months after that and watching the collateral damage throughout the community and the, her kindergarten students who she mm. taught and throughout our family and watching my parents um, really collapse, um, I, I was 25 and something in me said, I have to make a choice. This murder will kill me too in a different way and will destroy our family if we let it, which didn't mean I didn't go all in on supporting the investigation and participating and spending all of our money and time literally trying to solve this murder uh which we were successful in doing in partnership with with the police and the district attorney's office and many other uh heroes but i remember thinking uh, thinking of life like a pendulum and the pendulum swung so far into this darkness i never thought it could swing that far but I, i i imagined it as a pendulum and i thought well if i have to accept that the pendulum of life can do can be so dark and so horrific and so hard, I have to at least acknowledge that it's possible that the pendulum could swing into that same magnitude of positivity
3: mm.
6: wow i didn't I didn't believe I didn't know what that would look like, but I made myself think that it was possible, and that you just take some some days one day one breath at a time. Uh, but over time that you know that there's still the possibility of joy mm. and that that joy could be of the same magnitude of this terror
4: i love that that's such a beautiful visual mm-hmm. right for you to have and for our listeners who perhaps have been through something equally mm-hmm. devastating or or will be mm-hmm. right that's that tiny piece of of hope and just acknowledging that that life can get better yeah and i would imagine at the, at the beginning of the um, investigation when you're caught up in that, that's what's keeping you going,
6: right? And then yes. when that ends, the adrenaline of living in a SVU or a CSI show for yeah. years, right? And doing national national television and working side by side with the investigators and doing our own forensic investigations and hiring attorneys, it was all consuming.
4: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I I want to mention that now something else that you do that is, you know, an extension of that is your work with Women Against Abuse. Mm -hmm. And um, I'd love to know if there's been anything positive through that that you can share uh, since you've started with them.
6: For sure. Building on what you just said, once the investigation and the trial was over, I needed what I call a place to put it. There's all this energy, good and bad and sadness and uh, passion. And at some point, your amazing and lovely friends and family really don't want to talk about murder anymore. Um, so I, but I needed, I had, I have to have a place to put it. So I called women against abuse, uh, at the request, at the advice of a friend who'd also lost his daughter to domestic violence. Um, and I said, I, uh, what, what can I do to help you? And so I started as a volunteer in, I think 20, 2012, 2014, something like that. And now I've since joined the board and I sit on a few committees, I do public speaking for them. I go, one of the things I really like to do is go talk to the sororities at universities, and I say, I, you, my sister was a graduate student at University of Virginia. You go to Wharton. This plague of domestic violence does not know race, gender, income, sexual orientation, geography. It is everywhere. And you have sisters. So when, may they be sorority sisters or biological sisters or friends or family. Everybody knows somebody who this has happened to hopefully not murder, but who has been in an abusive relationship. And to say there are resources out there to help gives me um, a place to put this energy and hopefully to help someone and maybe save a life where we couldn't save Justine's. I think you're sharing your story in the way that you do will have incredible impact.
4: I I really do. Um, Can I ask how how did they meet? Did Mm -hmm. they meet in school or did they meet...
6: They met at a summer job. She was working at a retail store uh, and he was also working there. And, you know, they, they met and started dating and no, this won't get serious. And then in the beginning, it's always different from
4: what reality. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to talk to you about, uh, I want to go back. You actually went off to college and got a degree in communications Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I wanted to know, what your aspirations were at that time, because you're now in somewhat of a different field. Um, we're going to go into our next break, and we'll talk about that when sure. we come back. Stay with us for Dr. Mary and Ritchie Richie for your Health Watch and Terry and Maggie for your Finance Watch. We'll be right back.
3: Now, the women to watch Health Watch. For Health Watch, I'm Dr. Mary and Ritchie. Richie. October, Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Breast cancer campaigns began in 1982. The pink ribbon became the national symbol in 1991. Well, the movement helped. In 1987, only about 29% of women had mammograms. By 2000, the number rose to 70% of women over 40 having mammograms within two years. Why is this important? Well, a screening test is done in a patient with no symptoms. We want to start testing before you feel anything. Screening can find cancer early, it's easier to treat, and we save lives. Screening decreases death from breast cancer by 20% and death from colon cancer by 50%. 2015, the National Health Interview survey stated, about 83% of women aged 21 to 65 had pap smears, about 64% of women over 40 had mammograms within two years, but only about 62% had colon cancer screening. Breast cancer is the number one cancer in women, but when combining men and women, more people die of colon cancer than breast cancer. Plus, colonoscopy finds and removes precancer. Women lag behind men in colon cancer screening because they think it's a man's disease. They already have made time for mammograms and gynecology exams. My message? Cancer prevention in women is more than just a mammogram. Colon cancer is equal in men and women. And now we can also screen for lung cancer, the number one cause of cancer death. We're working to increase access to healthcare in the uninsured and low-income families. But even women who do have insurance and access to care fall short on screenings. Work and family take time so it's easy to delay testing because, quote, I feel fine, I have no family history lead your own fight against cancer. Visit the American Cancer Society website. Read about common cancers and screenings. Keep a calendar of your screenings. Gynecology exams, mammograms, colon exams. This is The Diva Doctor reminding you, treat yourself like a diva. If you don't take care of yourself, nobody else will.
0: Introducing Pathways Consulting Group, a company that will align your IT needs with your business goals. Pathways is a full-service ServiceNow partner. What does that mean? It's simple. Pathways will collaborate and design, develop, and deploy solutions for your company today that will define tomorrow. Pathways will provide world-class enterprise service management solutions. Pathways Consulting Group. They listen. They care. They execute. Go to PathwaysCG.com. That's PathwaysCG.
1: If you believe that family, charity or money is deeply important for the greater good, Fortis Wealth invites you to a highly personalized financial discovery process to help you visualize your financial legacy. It's not for everyone, but if you're willing to invest the time and thought, they can offer advice and strategies to help you accomplish your dreams. Fortis Advisors is a wholly owned subsidiary of Fortis Wealth, an investment advisor registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Visit Fortis-Wealth.com today because tomorrow is waiting. Watch Finance Watch
7: Hi, this is Maggie and this is Terry and we're from Fortis Wealth. What is social security? Social security is the foundation of economic security for millions of Americans, retirees, disabled persons and families of retired, disabled or deceased workers. Terry, how do retirement benefits work? We pay a 7.65% tax on our earnings, 6.2% is the Social Security portion, and the rest is for Medicare. This tax money then flows back out as income to beneficiaries. How can I figure out what my benefits will be? Check your online My Social Security account at www.ssa.gov or call the toll-free number. No matter where you get the numbers, they are only estimates. Your actual benefit will vary based on the age you start to collect, fluctuations in your earnings, and other factors. What about spousal benefits? Well, even if you've never worked, you may be able to get spouses' retirement benefits if you are at least 62 and your spouse is receiving benefits. If you're divorced, you may still be able to get benefits on your ex-spouse's record. You are entitled to the spouse's benefit no matter what your age is if you are caring for their child who is also receiving benefits. What exactly is full retirement age? That's when you can claim 100% of the benefit calculated from your lifetime earnings. FRA is currently 66 for someone born in 1953 and gradually increasing to 67 for people born in 1960 and after. If you wait a few years, you can increase your eventual benefit, but it does not increase after age 70. The Social Security website is a great resource for all benefit-related topics, and it's pretty user-friendly. What else should we be aware of? Well, one myth is that the program is enough to sustain seniors by itself. But most common senior living expenses don't drop much in retirement, and others, like health care and leisure, will probably climb. Working folks today need to realize what limited buying power Social Security will ultimately give them. If you're still gainfully employed, try to build or boost your nest egg as it will play an important role in dictating what sort of lifestyle you'll be able to lead in retirement. This is Terry. And this is Maggie. Peace out. You're
3: listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Sue Rocco. On Talk Radio 20-
4: I'm having a really inspirational conversation this evening with Lauren Swartz, the Senior Director of International Business for the City of Philadelphia. And thank you so much for sharing that really difficult part of your life story. Um, And I want to go on now and talk a little bit more about your career and and journey since then. And I was curious, you went to Randolph College and Mm -hmm. received a a degree in communications. Mm -hmm. What were your aspirations at that time?
6: I was never sure what I wanted to do. I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Um, (laughs) Do we ever? I I hope not. I hope not. Um, I studied communications because I love words and I love messages and language. And I think that no matter what one is doing, you have to be able to communicate that. So being a sort of jack of all trades, master of none, communication to me was a thread through anything that I might want to pursue as a career.
4: Which is true. Mm -hmm. Very true. Um, Tell me what your day to day activities are in this job. I think, you know, when people hear the title, you know, if, if they're like me, I was curious, wow, it sounds very exciting. And but I wonder what exactly you're doing every day.
6: I do all different things every day at the City of Philadelphia. I'm in charge of attracting international businesses from around the world to open offices in Philadelphia so they create jobs for local people and create positive economic impact. I also help Philadelphia-based companies consider export and selling abroad to create new customers, grow their income and also then that would create more jobs, more demand here. We also, our team handles all of the foreign affairs and diplomatic relations, so we host a lot of diplomats, uh, uh, delegations, heads of state, ambassadors and things like that, trade delegations, and then we also work uh, on any international travel that the mayor's office would uh, would undertake. So we put together outbound delegations where the mayor or our cabinet members will travel to focus on certain issues and topics and always weave in economic development and different uh, aspects of how we might be able to enhance the Philadelphia experience in the, in the city of Philadelphia and grow our economy through international partnerships. Do
4: you have to, or do you speak other languages and do you need to?
6: Before I had children, I, <laughs> when my brain was uh, a little bit stronger. Fresh. Yes, <laughs> yes, let's start. Yeah. Um, I speak a fair amount of Spanish and a fair amount of Danish. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. And how about travel? I travel right now. Uh, the summer's been a little bit higher than usual, about 20% of the time. I'm, I'll go abroad maybe three or four times a year uh, internationally, and then small domestic opportunities here and there.
4: Yeah. So you mentioned you're, you're a mother. Mm-hmm. You have two boys, and you're a single mom. Yes. Um, so what's the most difficult for you, um, being a parent to them you know, by yourself and this
6: job? It's It's a challenge to manage it. They always say, if you want something done, ask a busy person. I take Life. that to heart. I uh, I make a lot of lists. Anyone Do who knows you? me will be laughing right now. I make a really tremendous amount of lists. Technology is critical. And the ability to have shared calendars with their dad and schedule things far out and communicate with teachers. Maybe at 11 o'clock at night, I can send them an email as opposed to playing phone tag all day. And then it, it takes a village. So living in Philadelphia, where I think people really take care of each other, mm-hmm. the brotherly love and sisterly affection thing is alive and well here. So I have neighbors and community around me that really step in and support. If I need to travel or if I've got to go to an event or welcome a delegation from another country, people are always willing to step out, step up and help support me, me and the kids to see if I can get it all done. Right. That's wonderful. We all need that support network. Mm -hmm.
4: Um, I understand your mom passed away recently from cancer, and I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about her and, you know, what. What do you think of? What's at the forefront when you think of your mom that you'll remember most about her mm. and your relationship?
6: When I talk about my mom, I say, "Well, if you think I'm have a big personality and a lot to say, you should have met my mother. Oh. I'm, <laughs> I'm like a wallflower compared to to Heidi." Um, my mom was very adventurous. She was living in Ecuador. Actually, when she passed away, she moved there to retire. About two years before she died, she became ill there and stayed there uh, through through the duration of her illness. She was very brave. And very adventurous, um, uh, great at networking and, and meeting people from around the world. And I think I take a lot of tips from her. Uh, you know, of course, as I raise my children, especially now as a single mom, I wish that she was around more. Oh, I bet. Yeah.
4: yeah. It, did she have a mantra? Was there something that I always think parents have something that they said over and over and over that we remember and stays with us?
6: Uh, besides clean your room, or, you know, put away all those clothes when I was a kid. You know, my mom, um, she was really proud of me. And, and she would and she was a mom who would tell me that mm-hmm. and support me and say, you're doing a good job. You're doing the right thing. I'm really proud of you. And that's something that's quite simple. But not everybody has that kind of support from their parents.
4: No, you're right. Those words, I'm I'm so proud of you. Go Mm -hmm. um, really far, yeah, uh, for a kid from a parent. Um, Tell me what has surprised you the most in this role. Whether Mm. it's something that you've learned um, in your dealings with uh, other countries, Mm. or something perhaps about Philadelphia um, that that has surprised you.
6: Yeah, and in some ways, I'm like a, a little ambassador of Philadelphia to the world. So I have the opportunity to meet with people all over, and I'm. Sometimes the first person they've met from Philadelphia, or it's the first time they've been in the city. Last year, we hosted people from 165 countries. Right. Our team alone did. Um, the thing that it doesn't surprise me so much, because I chose to move here, and I chose to stay here, and I love this city, and it, the city has loved me back, um, but is how how much people love Philadelphia who've never been here before. And they say, what a hidden gem. This city is incredible. You have so many assets and your story isn't being told widely enough. You are more okay. than Rocky and cheesesteaks. And we want to come back and we want to bring our companies here, bring our children here, come on vacation here, go to an Eagles game. Wow! Uh, yeah. And the enthusiasm that the world has for our city, both in experience, but also in uh, they're impressed with what's going on in the business community here, and in many cases, they're they're really impressed with Philadelphia's leadership on certain issues like immigration, climate change, uh, the way we're taking care of our streets and public space, the way the city is trying um, to be innovative or uh, push the envelope on things like uh, uh, opioid crisis or trying to fight poverty. We're a city that talks about our problems. We wear them on our sleeve. Uh, Which is in every city, by the no, way, right? Right. right. As there's no city without those same similar problems. Yeah. And yep. we're trying to take them head on and we're not afraid to talk about it and try and solve them. Yeah.
4: Is there anything um, you can share with us, you know, for, again, from a positive standpoint about a particular industry that's vibrant right now mm-hmm. in Philadelphia? I mean, certainly our restaurant scene has exploded yes. over the past couple of years or, or more. Um, but, you know, is there a, is it technology? Is it it travel is it is it food what kind of is piquing the interest of businesses to come here
6: i'd say there are two main sectors internationally where we get the most um, interest and the most lean in one is life science and gene and cell therapy and the other is technology
4: okay excellent um we'll talk a little bit more about that when we come back stay with us for mary manzo for your tech watch and hanadi for diversity
2: Peace be upon you all. This is Hanadi with your weekly diversity segment. People think that self sufficiency is having enough of what you need. Today, we'll introduce a new understanding to that term. To believe that whatever you have or don't have is enough and is all you need. Meaning that you do not feel the need to ask for more or ask at all. That is called self sufficiency. I'll give you an example. A father of five kids who is doing everything he can to provide for his kids but is still not able to meet their needs will live happier if he thinks that whatever he's earning is all he needs. What is different about this perspective is that he'll see his earnings from a place of abundance. He doesn't feel the constant need to get more, which is unresting. I'll give you another example that will make it clearer. Have you ever come across rich people who never see themselves having enough money and never seem content with what they have? It gets to the point of greed and doesn't allow a person to really enjoy what they actually have. It's not about what you have. It's about how you feel about what you have. The feeling of having enough and not needing to ask people for anything is an ethic praised in the religion of Islam. Until that person is presented with different circumstances that they can pursue, their hearts remain full of what they have, regardless of the amount. Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him said, "Whoever wants to be independent of means, God will make them independent. Whoever wants to refrain from asking, God will help them to refrain. Whoever wants to be content with his lot, God will suffice them." The purpose is for Muslims to use what they have in the ways that please God and always see their conditions from a place of abundance, whether it's money, food, relationships, or what have you. For more ethics that Muslims believe in, visit HanadiSpeaksOut.com.
1: Who is Holly Dowling? Holly is a dynamic keynote speaker and inspirational thought leader. You
5: see what we have the ability to do and the power we have. You hold the power for good. Each and every one of us can do something.
1: Holly has inspired millions around the world, including over 500,000 executives. And her show is listened to in 87 countries.
5: Now we're going to spend 25 minutes on your areas of opportunity.
1: Listen to our internationally acclaimed podcast, A Celebration of You. Holly Dowling, empowering those who can change the world. hollydowling.com Now, the
5: women to watch. Mary Manso of Pathways Consulting Group. The technology evolution is impacting the way the mix of generations communicate at home, school, and work, and is a part of our everyday life. The amount of social media platforms keeps increasing, and to date, it's estimated the amount of users on these sites is approximately 2.6 billion. Generation Z alone uses about five different social media sites a day. This generation doesn't know a world without smart devices, and according to some reports, spend as much as three to four hours online a day. I think it's more than that, but let's go with those statistics. For reference, Gen Z is anyone born between 1995 to mid-2000s, and as an FYI, they would rather have working Wi-Fi than a working bathroom. It's a fact that once something is posted on social media, it's nearly impossible to remove its mark Please take this seriously. Many teenagers act on impulse. They want to express themselves and social media is the quickest and easiest way to do that. Like many adult figures, they're using social media as a means of branding themselves and creating an image. But once that thought or picture is posted, it can be shared and reshared and viewed by others and even worse with potential predators. The post tells the world something about who they are and sets a tone. So it's important that young people know that what they post today, will be how they're seen in the future by friends, family, schools, and employers. Think of it this way. How many famous figures have made the tabloids because of something they did or didn't do? That story can change their careers for better or worse for the rest of their lives. When we post on social media, we become the author, editor, publisher of our own story or the stories we tell about others. And once we post that story, it's out there forever. As adults, we have the opportunity to guide teenagers to act responsibly. Next week, we'll take a look at why teenagers rely so much on social media, and specifically girls. I'm Mary at PathwaysCG.com. Now more of Women to Watch
3: with Sue Rocco. Talk
2: Radio 12.
4: I'm joined by Lauren Swartz this evening, Senior Director of International Business for the City of Philadelphia. And uh, tell me again those two industries that you said just before the break were, you know, kind of of interest right now.
6: Gene and cell therapy and technology. Mm-hmm. Gene and cell therapy. Mm-hmm.
4: I think I read something recently about a new company, actually, mm-hmm. that had moved here. Am I right about that?
6: There are many it- new companies moving here. We've recently been in the news because of a company here called Spark Therapeutics that was acquired for $5 billion by a Swiss uh, firm and they have the first uh, FDA approved gene therapy in the United States. So this is a really a hotbed of gene and cell therapy development, product, um, product development, patient delivery, and all of their related um, fields around that.
4: Yeah, that's exciting. I, I, mm-hmm. I love learning about that. Um, I wanted to mention you recently received the recognition of 40 under 40, which is a great recognition of someone who is young like you um, and making her her mark here in the city. I want to say, what do you think it is about you that has gotten the attention of your peers and colleagues?
6: It's hard to say, right? It's hard to get out of your own head. I think in the job I have, I have a very public facing role. So a piece of it is just that doing a lot of public speaking and being the city's lead person for all things international has given me a platform that I think people are quite interested in. And they say, "Wow, Philadelphia, yeah, that's that's really cool. We've got people moving here from France or from Africa or from China. Um, and but I also I volunteer a lot with women against abuse. I'm on a few boards, uh, an active parent in the school. And I try, but across all of those things, I try and be very authentic. Frankly, at this point, I don't have the bandwidth to not be authentic and to think about how to, how I right? should be in this setting versus that. There's only one me at this point. I
4: love that because doesn't it take a lot of energy to kind of perform?
6: It's exhausting. Right? Yes. To, be,
4: to be out there performing. Uh-huh. Uh, I think more people should st- take stock in that. that yeah. it, re- it really is easier to be yourself and then... I just think that opens up so many more doors. Do you have any political aspirations?
6: Well, when I was 12, I ran for class president in sixth grade and I won. Oh, uh, well, there you go. That's <laughs> so a sign. That was something. <laughs> my my slogan was, may the Swartz be with you from Spaceballs. <laughs> and that, that, that got all the votes. Yeah. Um, so if I do ever run for office, I already have my slogan. Um, <laughs> I, I really like public service. I like giving back. I also love business, which is so. whenever I'm, I have it been in government or in public service, it's always been in economic development and helping businesses grow. So I'd like to go back to the private sector at some point for sure and have that experience. Uh, Although I think politics and government will always stay close to my heart. At this point with a six and an eight year old, I can't imagine trying mm-hmm. to be in politics and uh, be the mother that they deserve.
4: Yeah. You know what? Sometimes timing is everything. Yes. And so they they're six and eight. So you have a long way to go before you, you'll have a different kind of life, yeah. um, obviously, with more freedom, you know, as they become more independent.
6: Yeah. I hear they'll stop talking to me when they're about 13. So I'll uh, have that's more time about then. right. I have a son. <laughs> 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 Although there's something about boys they
4: are They're special. Um, yeah. They love their mothers. Yes. Yeah. No matter. Or what um tell me because you are juggling a lot mm-hmm. you know again in your role there's a lot of demand on you and there's a lot of things i'm sure coming at you on a daily basis um how do you handle stress
6: not well or um i i i really try and be mindful and I, I make these lists. I tell you, i go back to that. It really helps me to just write everything down, to put it in a place, to give it a piece. To check it to off. To give it a name. Oh, yeah. yeah. You write things down that you're going to do just so you can check them off sometimes. Yeah. But so I have, I can download my brain and then use my brain for something else. I'm an extrovert and I love people. And it's part of why I'm good at my job. So I get my energy from my friends and my family and my network. So I make sure to, to have time for people in my life that give me good energy um, I'm trying to sleep more. I commute by bike, so I try and sneak Very, in ener- oh, and exercise excellent. that way. Even on a rainy day? And I, less so on rainy days. <laughs> it depends on how formal I have to be f- dressed for work. right? Um, and I'm, I'm trying, sometimes I just have to say, I'll wake up and I'll tell myself, you, you'll fail today. There's no way you can get all these things done. And that's all right. Okay, it sort good. of goes back to that pendulum idea of like mm-hmm. some days I'm going to knock it out of the park and some days... I'm going to let some people down, and that's okay too.
4: Yeah. Can you tell me um, where your drive comes from?
6: Mm. I think about that a lot. Uh, and there's a couple of people who I think have tre- tremendously more drive than I do, and I study them. I think my drive comes from being very curious about a lot of different things. When you do these leadership assessment tests or personality tests, I score really high in almost every category. I'm infinitely curious. And so I want to know about a lot of things and I love to connect the dots and think strategically. And and so there's rarely something that I come across and say, well, that's not of interest or this couldn't be helpful or I don't care about that person. I don't think I ever have those thoughts. Mm. Therefore I'm always wanting to, to lean in and see how I can, um, connect things and learn more. And, and it goes back to having some really hard times in life and to say, well, when life is good and I have opportunity, I feel really fortunate, um, for, for where I've ended up at this moment in my life. And I want to embrace it and do as much as I can with it.
4: I would imagine after what you've been through that nothing, you have a innate sense of how most things don't really matter
6: Mm -hmm. am i right yes i people have started to tell me in recent years that they see me as very laid back which i find shocking Um, (laughs)
4: you seem laid back to me but inside you could
7: be churning
4: who knows yeah
6: i'm pretty type a and all my brain's always going and always curious um but i think i see it as more that my waters run really deep so there's a lot, which isn't to say I'm hiding things because that op- authenticity is there. I don't have time to have more than one Lauren, um, but I I don't get flustered by things very often. And I know that when I do get flustered or upset about something, I have to listen to it because mm. my, my benchmarks for what's really not okay um, are clear. Mm.
4: I think you're remarkable. I really do. And I so appreciate you coming in and sharing your story so openly. Um, Because we know it will help other people and continue to share your story in the way that you do, because it really it matters and it'll make a difference. Uh, That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. And thank you so much to my sponsors and contributors for helping me to bring you the real story behind her title. Have a great week, everyone.
1: Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Kraus at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.